All right, Acts chapter 13. Let's look at verse 13 together. We got through the first 12 verses yes, or yesterday, last week. Um, wouldn't it be cool to have church every day? But I need to work. I don't know where we went through in Acts where they went from house to house daily. I think we should be getting together more than we do, guys. Verse 13 of Acts 13 tells us this. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Patphos to, and they came to Perga of Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Poseidon. And they went into the synagogue of the Sabbath day, and they sat down. So we see a leadership change take place here, don't we? We go from Barnabas and Paul to who? Paul and his party. And that's a party I'd want to be a part of, right? And we're going to see over the next few months all the stuff that Paul gets into, right? And we see John here, John Mark. He returns, he resigns, he defects from the mission, okay? And one of those things a lot of people are like, what a wimp. Okay, John Mark, why'd you do that? What's up with that? You know, well, he, he didn't like Paul. Uncle Barney was cool. I like him. He's an encourager, right? Son of encouragement. But Paul, man, this guy is bold. He's gone, oh, he you know, he's saying, if you're going to come with me, this is what you're going to do. I don't like that. What a wimp. But I also want you guys to be mindful at the end of Paul's life sitting in Rome, about to be beheaded for his faith. Who does he call for? John Mark. So obviously, guys, there's going to be those who wimp out. But when we wimp out, know that God's not done with you. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He'll spank your butt and get you back to where you need to be. So, uh, just a moment of explaining this travel course. Now they're on their first mission right? So from the island of Cyprus, Paphos, they now go north to Turkey, okay? Uh, the Greek city there, uh, Perga, uh, 12 miles inland um, in the province. It was known as Pam- Pamphylia. Uh, it's a Greek city. They have a huge, uh, large temple there, Artemis. Uh, Diana, the Ephesians, would be worshipped there. Uh, Antioch and Pisida. Uh, is another 100-mile trip on foot through rugged mountains. Um, It was a region that was really infested with bandits. Uh, A lot of trade took place there, so people would wait uh, to rob you uh, there. You guys remember Paul, I think it's in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, where he lists off that long list. Yeah, uh, I'm a missionary for Jesus, and because I'm a missionary, this is all the stuff I've gone through in this life. And one of those things he threw out there in perils of robbers. You know, and I've always wondered, like, really? You know, how often did you get robbed? And then reading this this week, I'm like, is this one of those places, Paul? <laughs> you know, you got ripped off. I don't know. But anyways, major trade route. That's what we do know about this area. It had a synagogue there. Antioch is the region of Galatia. Okay? You guys know anything about Galatia? Well, of course. Paul wrote a letter to the Galatians, right? He ministered and he actually wrote his first epistle to the Galatians. But you guys know that Galatians is the only letter that Paul intended for all the churches. It wasn't one specific church. It was written to all believers, okay? So it was a letter that got around. 
So it's the only letter, uh, letter that we know that was written for the number of churches of the day. Um, and I'm so thankful because really Galatians lays out the whole thing, you know, how we are blessed by God via faith, not works. It is all God. So the name Galatians uh, was given to the Celtic people because of their origi- they originally came from Gaul uh, before migrating into Asia Minor. So that's kind of how they got their name, a little bit of their background. So... We love the reality of faith because faith is what sets people free, faith in Jesus, to enjoy freedom that we have in Christ. It is a faith thing. There are those who call themselves Christians, but they haven't mixed what they know about the faith, about religion, with faith, and they're missing out. Okay? They don't understand the freedoms, the joys, the peace, the blessings that we have of being in Christ, and we're only in Christ by faith. So there's so much that is given to us, and I encourage you, if you're not familiar with Galatians, take some time this summer, study it thoroughly. Uh, we went through it eight, nine years ago. Uh, it's on Vimeo. We have the complete study, verse by verse, through it. But guys, let me tell you what. This life is rough. Okay, We do have the Spirit if you're born again, and we do have the flesh, and they are warring, and there is so much spoken of in the book of Galatians and how we are to walk, and how we walk victoriously, yielding to the Spirit. Um, you'll be exhorted. So, what is set before us this morning? Well, we have the longest sermon in Acts. Let's take a read. Verse 15. And after reading the law, or reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say, Wouldn't you love for somebody to come up to you? Hey! If you have anything to say, say, Okay. And what does Paul do? Well, of course, Paul's going to take that opportunity, right? Verse 16, Paul stood up. And motioning with his hands, he said, Men of Israel... And you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted arm brought them out of it. Now for a time, about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. And after that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, a son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. For this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus, after John first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. 
But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and to those among you who fear God, to you the word of salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should put him to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus And as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore also, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he, who God raised up, saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him... Everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work the works in your days, a work which you will by no means believe the one word declared it to you. Wow! So to win the God-fearer Gentiles, Paul had to do a calculated risk here. How far can I go, knowing there are hardcore Jews here? How far can I take it? And I think he did a great job. Verse 17, I love this little phrase, an uplifted arm. I don't think any of us can even come close, even in our (laughs) most creative imaginations that we may have of how mighty our God is, how powerful He truly is. So the time of the Exodus was a period of the most um, probably consecrated uh, concentrated uh, displays of God's power that we've seen throughout history, at least recorded history in His Word. And then came the shocker, verse 26. To you, the word of salvation has been sent. You who? Who has received this word of salvation? Well, the Jews, yes. 
but also the Gentiles are mentioned here. Don't you love it? I love it. That's all people to the Jews and the Gentiles. So God's new plan of salvation included the Gentiles. And to you is an email to whom you are addressed or the diagnosis given to the patient. So verses 38 and 39, the big thing here and the whole point of all this, forgiveness of sins, isn't it? That's the problem. Sin is the problem. We all have it. We've all done it. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. How are we going to deal with this sin issue? Well, Jesus dealt with it. And that's why the point of forgiveness is so important. And it's the forgiveness of sins. So the Jews would consider this day the day of atonement. That's the one day during the year that their sins could be taken care of, right? Let's see if it took. Let's make a bunch of sacrifice. Let's do a lot of hoopla. Let's do all this stuff and hope it takes. Hope that all the shedding of all this blood will forgive our sins for another year. Well, never before defined, only typified by the sending away of the scapegoat. You see, the Old Testament heard a lot of sins being covered, right? Okay? It will be covered. We can cover your sins. But them being taken away, <laughs> that's unheard of. That can't happen. But that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin past, right? The power of sin that would be presently and on the day, the future from the presence of sin. Jesus takes it away and he saves us from it all, guys. Justified from all things. Okay? Justified from all things. This is Christianity's most important theological truths. Think about all the things that we need to know and understand. I think this is it, brothers and sisters. We need to understand what justification is. Okay, um, justification by faith. We're justified by believing, not doing. Religion and every religion in the world teaches the opposite, doesn't it? There is one truth. There is one way. It is Jesus Christ. He has done it. We are saved by faith. It's not by works. Okay, makes sense to me. Hopefully it makes sense to you. And really, justification is a legal term which implies full acquittal. I love it. I love it. Hey, let's get technical. Okay? Let's lawyer up, okay? <laughs> we got to make sure it's set in stone. Everything's legal. Everything's legit. It's going to hold up in court one day. Yeah, that's exactly what justification is because of what Christ has done. Okay? You have been acquitted. You are set free. So this justification it takes place um, once it takes place it does not need to be repeated time after time your record record is completely wiped clean okay who can be justified i'm glad you guys asked paul was perfectly cleared uh, clear by repeating it twice both jews and god fears okay um so anybody, verse 16 and 26, he makes that very clear in his sermon. So everyone can believe. Don't you guys love that? Everyone can believe. If you don't believe that, you need to get to know your God, get to know his heart, get to know the word 
of God. Jews said the message of salvation was to keep the law, right? This is what we need to do. We're God's people. We got to do these things. Keep these festivals. All 613 of these laws. Let's do it. Well, they couldn't do it. They knew they couldn't do it. And that's why I think these guys here, when Paul preaches this sermon, were so receptive. Because they knew no matter how hard they tried, that it wasn't enough, that this message of salvation, man, this makes sense. Man, God does love us. He does care enough. He did that for us. And all we have to do is receive the gift by faith. And I love Paul's fulfilling his mission here, his call. You know? I wish I could have been there to see Paul's face that day, being able to preach that way and have this type of response. I want you to jump over to chapter 26. We'll be there in a couple months. Um, But I want you guys, maybe a few months, um, (laughs) but I want you guys to see uh, here, he's really fulfilling his commission from the Lord. In chapter 26, verse 17, it says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So simple. God is so faithful to send a preacher to preach the truth. And we need that today, guys. Yesterday, I mean, it was really early this morning. I don't remember. Um, I like charts. I kind of like visual things. You can throw out numbers at me. Oh, great. (laughs) Give me a chart to look at. I understand that. And it just hit me because here in America, the evangelical church, oh, that's what it was. I was, yeah. I remembered where I saw it. I was looking, Veritas has a, a seminary out in California, and they're very heavy into apologetics. I like Norman Geisler a whole bunch. Um, and I was just looking online for some classes. And I would, the only reason I just brought that up, I want to encourage you guys, we're to be learners, okay? Take some classes online. Learn more about the Lord. Study, grow. It's good to do. But anyways, they just had an article on there, and they were sh- they were just uh, sharing um, how the evangelical church is having an effect um, here and around the world. And here in the United States, a Christian nation, we should be growing, right? Well, it's a very, 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 very slow growth rate here in America within the church. And it was so cool on the chart because over the last 50 years, the third world uh, nations of, of planet Earth here, it, it, it's, it took off slow, but it is just skyrocketing of how many people are coming to faith in Christ. And my heart just leapt. I'm just like, that is so awesome. You know, the gospel is going forth. Okay, people are going and preaching the good news and people are hearing and receiving and then my heart sinks at the same time because it's just like, why isn't that happening right here? Why do we have seats open this morning? People need Jesus. A lot of good people we live with, neighbors, family. We all need Jesus Christ and he needs to be our priority in life 
So, we see Paul stepping out, doing his thing. Open eyes, dark to light, the power of Satan to God. See, Christians, we are today accepted in the beloved. Today, we're absolved from sin, and today, we're acquitted at the bar of God. I love it. Charles Spurgeon once said this, We are now, even now, pardoned. Even now, our sins are put away. Even now, we stand in the sight of God accepted as though we had never been guilty. There is therefore now no condemnation to which are in Christ Jesus or to them who are in Christ Jesus. And there is not a sin in the book of God even now against one of his people. I love that. So after the war with sin comes the peace of God. So he gives us pardon. He gives us life. He gives us peace. He gives us liberty. He gives us healing, cleansing, refreshment, comfort, and strength. I love it. I hope you love that truth. Let's read on. Verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Isn't that so cool? Please come back, Paul. Please preach again. We want to hear it again. Do you guys ever feel like that? Man, what a great word. Pastor, can you preach the exact same sermon next week? And I'll bring all my friends. Everybody needs to hear this. Guys, it's all the same because it's all about Jesus. It's always good. Verse 43. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And then the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, it'd be awesome. I'd be preaching from the roof, guys. We'd have to bring the speakers out and have speakers all around. Wouldn't that be cool to just have thousands of people just come to hear the Word of God? That would be so cool. I mean, we come together to get around stupid stuff, right? You know, we can pack out stadiums for what? You know, it's fun to watch, but it's not life-giving. It's not everlasting, there's no truth in it because it could have been a fluke. They should have won. How did that happen? I don't know. That's the world. It's messed up. It doesn't make sense. But God makes sense. Okay, he's profound, but he's simple. And the gospel is so simple, guys. And we get to share this profound message, the good news with this world. Anyways, what verse was I in? You guys get it. 44, so on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes and they were filled with envy and contradicting, blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. And then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. 
I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be, or that it, <clears throat> you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. They glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up uh, the devout and the prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Love it. I think we see this today. The whole city can come out. Many can receive. Many want to believe. Many want to honor God to do what's right. And there's only a few stinkers out there <laughs> that can mess up things. I mean, wouldn't it have been cool if Paul and Barnabas could have been there for a while, a while to disciple, to continue to teach? You know? I mean, God was definitely in control. I know he was faithful to those people. But it only takes a few stinkers to ruin everything. And that's what I see in our day and age. Just because the people who have the media today don't like truth, don't like God, it's affecting the whole and ripping off the whole. All right, I'll get off that soapbox. We'll get on another in a second. Verse 47, uh, the purpose here, I've set you as a light. Isn't that cool? I hope each and every one of you who is born again of the Spirit of the living God, okay, that you grasp this truth, okay, that you are set as a light to your family, where you work, to your neighbors, to this community throughout the valley. When you take a road trip this summer, <laughs> you are a light for Jesus Christ. So let's take this personal, guys. Let's make this personal. Great, Barnabas and Paul, glad you guys were. No, all believers are, amen? He's called us to be what? Salt. What does that do? It leaves people thirsty. That's what I want to do. If I have an encounter with somebody, I hope to give them a little bit. Sometimes I get bummed out. Man, I didn't give them the whole gospel. They didn't get saved yet. Well, maybe I just made them thirsty that they come back. They want some more. That's okay. We're called to be salt and also light. What does light do? Well, it helps people see the, what's the reality of the darkness. A little bit of light you know, reveals a lot. So, may they see the lack of darkness in your life. Reason, so we have the purpose in 47. We also have reason here for salvation to the ends of the earth. Let's also take that personal. Last week we talked about missions. I encourage you, if you missed uh, the study, grab it, listen to it online. You'll get stirred up for missions. Uh, we still, I'm, I'm so glad most of the books went <laughs> that we had, but on the back shelf here, we have some sh resources, biographies, brothers and sisters' stories about missions. Take them home, read them to your kids, get stirred up. Um, but we need to take that personal to the ends of the earth. Well, I don't care about the ends of the earth. I care about my life and being comfortable and I want a happy little church family and what's God doing right here and that's all that matters. No. <laughs> no. God cares for all people. Period. And we should too. It's kind of like that old standard oil slogan. Um, it's the one that made uh, John Rockefeller a billionaire. 
uh, get the light into every dark corner of the world. Okay, And why was that thrown out there, guys? Well, he wanted to sell kerosene from the West to the rest of the world. Okay, How can we sell more? Um, well, we've gotten a lot of oil and gas to most parts of the world. And the sad part is the gospel still needs to get a lot of places. So verse 48 um, Let's read it. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. And I love when that happens, when people hear the truth. They hear the word of God, they rejoice. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. Well, there it is, guys. That's the verse that made me a Calvinist. Calvinists actually believe that. That it's this one verse that proved to them this doctrine's true. One verse. It grieves me, guys. And one of the things I want you to understand, if you're a Calvinist, I love you. <laughs> we can have fellowship. I have fellowship with brothers who are Calvinists. Many of them don't want to talk. That's a bummer. I think in humility it is good for us. If we're full of the Holy Spirit, we'll be speaking to one another. We'll have conversations. We should have conversations. We should talk scripture. We should study. Iron sharpens iron. So, one of the things I want you guys to know about the teaching of sovereignty, of election in scripture, it is good to always consider context. And it is very important, guys, to understand when election is spoken of in the New Testament, especially, guys, all over the New Testament, it's speaking about a corporate group of believers. It's a whole group. It's not an individual thing. This is how I personally get saved and one personally gets saved. It's a group thing. So context is huge because as we just read here, actually I want to read something to you guys first. Um, a great argument um, that I read in Henry Elford's commentary uh, a few weeks back. Um, as many as were discipled is how he puts it. I just want to read short. He says, the meaning of this word must be determined by the context. And I absolutely agree because uh, a lot of uh, the Calvinists, some great um, uh, men of the faith who want to be staunch <laughs> in that theology, um, like a James White, you guys know on his signature Bible on the outside, he has Acts 13.48. Like, that's the one verse I'm going to be as a Calvinist. Um, I love this because how uh, Elford, or Henry Elford translates this verse, the Jews had judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. So that's the context. The Gentiles, is as many were disposed to eternal life, believed. Okay, so as many who were set in position for eternal life believed. And I like how he put that. Because if you actually look into it and you go to the most authoritative lexicons that we have uh, out there, none of them use the word appointed. None of them. So for someone to camp out on one verse is a dangerous thing to begin with. Okay, <laughs> And secondly, guys, we need to study to show ourselves approved. Just because something's translated into English in a way that we think is good and fits what we may believe, no, there's some hard scriptures that we need to take the time to dig in, to study thoroughly what is actually 
meant there. So it also can be meant as uh, to, to set in position, okay? Um, and I don't even think this whole passage is actually even referring to election at all. Again, you guys just read this sermon with me. We have the context of it. The context, you know, it really it must be contrasted with verse 46, which we just read. We have these Jews judging themselves. They're jealous, and they're saying of themselves, which if you actually look in the Greek, is a passive verb. They were unworthy. They were choosing to reject the gospel, okay? And it says here, as many as were set for the test passed it. That's how a lot of these lexicons translate this verse. So, I think it's interesting too, if you guys study Greek at all, the Koine phrase seems to imply free will (laughs) over sovereignty. Um, And what I think is kind of funny, a lot of you guys are familiar with John Piper, of all people, what I just read to you um, from Henry Henry Elford, he actually sings Alfred's praises. He says, when I am stumped with a grammatical or a syntactical or a logical flow of Paul, I go to Henry Alfred for, um, for most answers. He comes closer, more consistently than any other human commentator to asking my kind of questions. And it's bummer, guys. Because when we hold, and I'm not just talking about Calvinism now, I'm talking about anything when we hold to a bad theology and we're willing to twist other scripture or ignore other scriptures to continue to hold to something that we want to believe so badly, we're going to be willing to say, hey, even this man that I, I would trust, who has spoken into my life, he says, trust, he doesn't agree with my bad theology here, therefore, <laughs> forget what he says. I think we're called to study, to show ourselves approved, guys. Dig in look into things. And it's a bummer that there's a lot of Calvinists today that hold to presuppositions that they have as they study the Scriptures. They can't go in, you know, the whole. (laughs) And you guys know my conviction. We want to study the whole counsel of God. Um, For you guys who don't even know what this is about, praise God. (laughs) Praise God. But it's something that's ugly. It's something that's divisive. Personally, I haven't seen a whole lot of good fruit come out of the Calvinist camp. I just see a lot of division, a lot of pride. I've never, ever met a single person who's come to the conclusions of Reformed belief in that way from a person who just studied Scripture. Every single person I know who's a Calvinist and has spoken with me has come to be a Calvinist because they read so-and-so or a DVD was given to them. It wasn't Bible study that led them to those conclusions. Um, so just a few things off the top of my head that I'd like to share with you guys just from the scriptures um, and some of the conclusions that I have found, because I'm not an Arminianist either, okay? And you guys may be an Arminianist. I love you. We can have fellowship. We can sit down and talk just like any Calvinist brother, okay? And that's one of those things, guys, um, we, we need to be in a place where we're willing to have conversations and to talk with one another. Um, some of you guys might be like, why aren't you an Arminius? To be honest, I have a problem with taking any man's name upon a doctrine, okay? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what I am. 
Uh, if after sharing with you guys a little bit right here, you're like, oh, there's actually a name for you, Landon. We, <laughs> I don't want to know it. I don't. <laughs> I've been totally okay just believing what the Bible says. And everybody will say, whoa, I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible. I want to share some scriptures with you guys because the one thing is I can't ignore the word of God. Arminianists, the one thing they will do that a Calvinist does is they both have to ignore scripture to conclude what they have come to believe to be true. Just a few scriptures. 1 Peter 1, 2, talking into the sovereignty of God, which I do see in scripture. I absolutely believe, we here at Freedom Fellowship, believe that God is sovereign. We see it throughout scripture. In 1 Peter 1, 2, there is the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 8, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure. And you guys might be like, that's really cool. God's chosen you. Yeah, there's a blessing in the doctrine of election. Where a Calvinist will take it, though, is God doesn't want, he doesn't choose Every, he didn't really die for everybody. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. World doesn't really mean what you think it means. It's actually only talking about the elect. So we can't really, we say it, but we don't really believe that God really loves everybody because he hates people and he didn't really die for everybody. If a Calvinist is honest, that's what they believe and that is sick, it is twisted, it is not the gospel. And if you want to take and twist scriptures like that, again, you can't ignore other scriptures because if you jump into John chapter 16, verse 8, the same word that they say the world means elect, the exact same Greek word is used for world, and it actually says there that they don't believe. So it's like they can't even be logical. Anyways. Matthew 24, verse 22, 24, and 31, his elect... It speaks into that quite a bit. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I've chosen you. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm thankful Jesus chose me. I'm thankful that he loved us so much that he was willing to become a man and die for us. Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 5 and 7, a remnant according to the election of grace. We find in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 6, he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, having predestined us to adoption. Okay, these words are, or these are scriptures spoken, you know, in his word about his sovereignty. They're beautiful. We should not say, oh, bummer, you know. I know some of you guys just reading Acts 13, verse 48 this morning, you're just like, oh, the Calvinist verse, ah, can't receive it. No, there's a beautiful truth in that verse when we take it in light of the whole of scripture the balance of scripture in colossians 1 12 the father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints second thessalonians 2 13 because god uh, from the beginning or beginning chose you for salvation first peter 2 9 but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people so we definitely see election in scripture it's there. These are scriptures that Calvinists often bring up to me. John 6 is another big. There's just a ton of scriptures, you know, hey, I'm going to hold to this. But again, context is very important. And really the context of the whole of scripture, because we can't pick and choose what we want. I see a lot of scriptures that talk about the responsibility of man. 
Ezekiel, which we'll get to in like 13 years if the Lord tarries. Um, <laughs> verse 18, 23 says, Do I have pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that they should turn, they should turn from his ways and live. And then verse 32 in that chapter says, For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. And then in the next chapter, Ezekiel 33, 11, turn, turn from your evil ways. Like, God is crying out. I'm not going to force you to be saved and force you to go to hell. No, I love you. I've given you free will. You have a choice. I want you to turn to me. And we see that throughout scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Seek me. You'll find me. Turn to me. I love you. I'm there for you. That's all over Scripture, guys. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, all you guys know that Scripture, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, right? He says, come, that's you and you. He's not, I'm going to come and force myself upon you. Calvinists believe that. It sounds like rape to me. Love. You pervert. A Calvinist perverts the attribute of God being love. Because love does not force itself upon anybody. And irresistible grace is gross. God is going to force you to be his kid, force you to have a relationship with him. I do not see that in scripture, guys. You know, And I'm, I'm praying that I'm not coming off haughty. Some people think I get a little fired up about this. The truth is, I'm a stickler for truth. And because I love, I speak truth. And yes, I am humble enough. And guys, literally, I've prayed probably thousands of times just on this issue over the years. Lord, if I'm missing something, please show me. Like, I don't want, I want to know the truth. And the thing is, guys, even before I knew about this debate between Calvinists and Arminianists, there were scriptures that would come up and I'd be like, yeah, but this and that. And in my own mind, just studying the scriptures, God is sovereign. He's absolutely in control of all. And what he has chosen in his sovereignty is he's made man to have free will because he wants true worship, true relationship. We've been made in his image. We get to be creative. We get to make choices. We have reason. It's a beautiful thing. But for some reason, there are some in the church that don't want to think that way. Don't believe that. They think God is just going to force himself upon some and not upon others. That he doesn't really love all people. I had a sister say to me when she was first introduced to it, um, she just brought up the scripture out of Luke 13, 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets. How often I want to gather you together uh, as a mother hen gathers her chicks. But you were not willing <laughs> You know, it's one of those things. You were not willing. That's what Jesus said. I wanted to do this. Well, if God was cruel and unloving, yeah. Do what I want. You're mine. You're not. You're going to hell. I want, you know? But no, he loves us all. That's what the Bible teaches. He wants us, but we're not willing. John chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. You guys know that passage well. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will not perish. There's our part. We need to believe. 
John 4.13, whoever drinks, Acts 2.21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10.8-13, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. Calvinists believe that, hey, God will force you to be saved, His Holy Spirit will come into you, and that's how you're able to believe. Well, I see in scriptures, we believe we're born again. That's when the Holy Spirit comes. And we'll also believe that the Scriptures are very clear that the grace of God, okay, we are saved by grace. Calvinists believe that God forces His grace upon people. That's how they get saved. Well, Titus 2.11 and other passages in the Bible say that grace of God has appeared to all men teaching us. We see in John 16 that the work of the Holy Spirit is to what? to convince or convict the world, every single person, of sin. To show us that we need a Savior. So he's not just picking some who get his grace. The Bible teaches his grace has appeared to all people. Now it's on us if we're going to respond. Even in the book of Romans, don't we see that? Creation itself testifies. God has put things out there. Even for a person who's not born in a setting where they may be exposed to the gospel, God still gives opportunity for a person to come to know him. We can't put God in a box and say, this is just how it's going to happen. He is big. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign. In his sovereignty, he is making himself known to all people. Our problem is, is many of us don't want anything to do with him because we're prideful. We want to do our own thing. We want to be our own God. We reject him. So, a lot of other scriptures. Second Peter 3.9, if you're taking notes, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Is some count slackness. But he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. What? What does a Calvinist do with that? Well, they actually have a lot to do with that. <laughs> and that's the thing that I have a hard time with. When you tweak the scriptures. Arminius do the same thing too, guys. When you take things out of context, you start tweaking scriptures to fit your presuppositions, you're going to be in trouble. We guys need to stay humble. We need to keep studying. There is safety in a multitude of counselors. That's one thing I love about being here at Freedom Fellowship. We're going through the entire Bible. Okay? It'd be very easy to pick here and there and study this and that and end up with some goofy doctrine. <laughs> but when you just sit back and you're prayerful, and you're honest, you're logical, and you study thoroughly, you find beautiful balance in Scripture. Is it man's free will, or is it God's sovereignty? Both are taught, God is God, I'm going with the flow. Pretty simple. And there was a paradox before I knew about the whole calvinist arminius debate that was out there that I concluded personally as a young man. And as a young man, the first Christian author I was turned on to was C.S. Lewis. A lot of you guys are probably familiar with him. And there's a lot of debate around him. Was he a Calvinist or wasn't he? I hate that people say you have to be one or the other. First of all, who says that has to happen? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Anyways. Won't get down that rabbit trail. Um, but I do want to share with you guys some apparent paradoxes that I see in Scripture. And it just makes sense to me. Acts 2.23 says this, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. So did you guys catch that? There was something that was determined. It was according to the foreknowledge of God. 
He knew how things would shake out. He knew that his own people would reject him. He knew that he would be crucified. And he knew what the crucifixion would do. How people would be forgiven. How salvation would happen. But it was according to what? His foreknowledge, it tells us. In 1 Peter 1, verse 1 and 2, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Again, if you're one of his kids, did God know that would happen? God's outside of time, absolutely. But again, the scriptures are here that talk about the foreknowledge. If these scriptures weren't here, we might be having a different conversation this morning, but they're there. And this is one of the things in my early walk that really kind of grabbed me, the Holy Spirit, because there was a little bit of questioning going on, and that just settled it in my spirit. Just like, yeah, God knows. His heart is that all would come to salvation. That's the heart of our loving Father. That is the message of the gospel. A Calvinist would say it is not. But that is what the Bible declares, period. In Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he predestined. Okay? Romans eleven two, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined that we who first trusted, so there, okay, trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Romans eleven thirty three and on, oh, the depth of the riches and the uh, wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments past finding out. There are things that are so beyond us. Okay? I don't understand how salvation always shakes out. How can one in a family raised in the same household come to know Jesus and a sibling doesn't? I don't know. How can someone who's born in the Middle East doesn't even have a chance to hear the gospel come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is and someone born in the States here in a pastor's home Church every day of his life growing up, end up rejecting. I don't understand that. All I know is God loves every single person, wants every person to know him, and we either receive that gift, the gospel message, or we reject it. It's pretty clear. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, make disciples of all nations. Why would that be the Great Commission? Why would God call us to go if he was just going to save people anyways? Okay? And to be honest, guys, I have some Calvinist friends that love the Lord. Our hearts connect. Where do I get to know people? In prayer. And the prayers from my Calvinist brothers are so evangelical, so lined up with the gospel, but their theology they spout out of their mouth is saying otherwise. I, don't, I personally don't get it. I asked one of them one time. He's like, I know. <laughs> I know. But he's a humble enough brother to get together and pray. Because he wants to see people to come to know Jesus. Why, why do you even pray? Why do you even care about evangelism if God's just picking people anyways? Well, it's for the glory of God. And that's the thing that bum, bums me out. Because there are a lot of Calvinists, a lot of Reformed movements that are leading a lot of people to Christ. The gospel is being preached. People are believing. But I don't see how a heart can be truly connected to the gospel if you're sharing with somebody, hey, do you know that God loves you and that he died for your sins? Let me tell you about Jesus and how salvation works. And you can be justified, redeemed. 
you know, God loves you when I'm really thinking maybe he doesn't love you. Maybe you're just damned for hell and I'm just wasting my time right now and, oh, you're not responding. Screw you. I'm done with you. Let's move on to someone else that might be elect. Okay, I could be totally judgmental in that assessment, but I'm logical. I'm real. If I was a Calvinist, that's how I would roll. I probably wouldn't even walk with the Lord if I was a Calvinist. Okay? One of the, actually, my first youth girl, I did youth ministry for many years, Eric Allen, used to be in that group many, many years ago. I was a youth leader. We had one girl and like five or six young boys in this group. She loved Jesus, started a Christian band, walked with the Lord, went to Bible college. Someone came into her life, began to teach this Calvinism thing, and she was so real. She was just a real truthful gal. I mean, she, you guys know, a lot of you guys know who I'm talking about and stuff. But she just heard this. For some reason, she chose to believe it because, hey, look at all these Calvinist authors out there. They're very intelligent. They're very smart. They wear suits and ties all the time. I actually wear this on purpose today just in case some of my Calvinist friends are watching. Um, (laughs) But the thing is, guys, my heart breaks for her. I still pray for her often because Calvinism derailed her. She just walked away from the Lord, and she's not the only person I've seen this doctrine do that to them. It breaks my heart, guys. There's division in the church. There's churches right here. You guys know I just... I share with you all the time when I get together with my pastor friends and pray, there's guys who are reformed that won't even sit down and talk with me. They won't get together and pray. You know? And it's just like the division that's brought a bummer. To be honest with you guys, I'm appreciative of a lot of my our Calvinist brothers. I read more Calvinist books than anything else. Some of you guys might be bent like, oh, why are you telling me that, pastor? Because there are things that are good, that are right, that can be received. But I would encourage you guys, and this is how we flow at Freedom Fellowship here, we want to teach you the truth. We want to teach you the word of God, the whole counsel of God, that when counterfeits do come, you're going to recognize it right away (laughs) and say, hey, that doesn't line up with the whole of Scripture. But all this other stuff I just read in this book was great. (laughs) I can receive that. And that's where I want to really encourage you guys, study the word, know the word of God, but we also have a lot we can glean, and I'm going to be talking about that in two weeks from now. It's actually going to come up in our passage in Acts because there are fractions, divisions within the body of Christ. And just to throw away everybody, shame on us, especially if it gives us opportunity to have relationship with others and speaking. Anyways, Luke 24, 46 through 47, Mark 16, 15, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, 14, John 20, 21, I also send you. God has a heart for us to go to preach the gospel. And I'm going to conclude with this, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. Secret things belong to the Lord. And there are a lot of brothers that I know when they tackle this subject, they want to conclude with this verse but they never share the second part of the verse. The second part of the verse, but the things that are revealed to you, (laughs) they're for a reason, okay? They're to teach us something. And this whole thing with the mystery of, well, is it Arminianism? Is it Calvinism? It's black and white to me, guys. Just studying the word, it's not about either of those things. God is sovereign. He's given man free will. We preach the gospel because that's what God's asked us to do. We pray for people and hopefully they receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus. 
It's that it's simple. It's not a mystery. It's not a secret thing. It is what's revealed to us, and God has commissioned us to go share it with others. So, let's go back to Acts 13. I wasn't sure this morning or not if I was going to speak into that, but it is affecting our church personally. Okay, I wish it wasn't an issue. I wish we didn't have to deal with these things. But we are told that in the last days that even the elect will be deceived. <laughs> in the Reformation is built, uh, it, yeah, it's growing. People are buying books like crazy, taking in these conferences. They leave reason at the door. They're all in. Calvinism is the gospel you don't believe it it's because you're ignorant it's because you don't study because you don't read you know i've had arguments with guys i've read probably five or six times as many books on the issue than they have you know and it's one of those things i i just ask you guys you don't have to believe the way i believe i want you just to study the scriptures to know the word of god the whole counsel so i believe if you're taking in the whole word of god it's going to protect you (laughs) Okay, there's truth. Your heart is going to be aligned with his heart. Okay, anyways. Verse 48. Don't trouble yourself with election. (laughs) Just encourage yourself in it, okay? Because it is evidence that you're part of the church if you believe. If you are a believer, you're a part of his church. Isn't that awesome? That's the beauty of election for me. Like, (laughs) okay. Um, Real quick, because you guys might ask, why am I not an Arminianist and stuff? Because I believe God's sovereign. They place everything on man. Okay, I'm not just saying. And again, if uh, Jacobus Arminius was alive or John Calvin was alive, if you guys have read the Institutes, the Christian religion by him, the, the lengths that these groups have taken their beliefs and how hard they hold to some of their distinctives in it, I think both those guys would be very sickened <laughs> by what has happened with that um, because when you read these guys, they were just grace-filled, Jesus-loving people. They want people to know Jesus. And that's one thing I see with a lot of people that just study the Word of God. It's just about Jesus, guys. Keep it simple. So what do we see laid out here? We see eternal life. And that's what it's about. That's why we're still here. We have a mission Um, It doesn't signify an endless existence, though encompasses that. It speaks to quality of life, but not not to just quantity. It also speaks to character and not just duration. So that's something I really want you guys to understand when we grasp the gospel. So much is given to us with eternal life. You see, eternal life is when he brings us from spiritual death into spiritual life. Okay, Eternal life is experience the life of Christ. Okay, he who has the Son has life, right? I think it's 1 John 5, 21. I mean, that's a promise when we have Jesus, when we believe. So eternal life, we also have new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone's in Christ, what? Old things pass away, behold, all things new. But again, we have free will, right? (laughs) Are we going to choose to walk in that new life? That's on us. God has given it to us. Are we going to choose to go back to the old or start walking in the newness of life? Also, eternal life has changed bondage to freedom. Christ has made us free, right? Galatians 5.1, stand firm in that. Eternal life is for doing the will of God 
from the heart. Ephesians 6. 6. We get to do the will of God. A verse I like to throw out to Calvinists. I'm sorry, my head just keeps going to go back there. But in John 7, 17, anyone who wills to do the will of God. Chew on that for a little while. That's what we see throughout Scripture. That's what eternal life is presented to us. I've made you new. Walk in the newness of life. Enjoy all these privileges. Now you're free from sin. You can now do the will of God if you choose to do it. You know? We also have joy. Look at verse 52. It speaks about this joy. If one thing should characterize the Christians of the New Testament, the answer should be joy. That's the one thing we should have. So this is true of Christians today. Um, it should be. And it should be of you today. So it should distinguish us from the world. Joy is kind of like the peace of God, isn't it? Okay? Sometimes you can't explain it. It's just there. <laughs> I don't know because life stinks really bad right now. All my circumstances and trials. But day, hey, I have joy in the Lord. It's just there. Um, and that should be one of those things. You see, happiness... Uh, is different from joy. It's dependent on happy circumstances, isn't it? If this just shakes out the way I want it to, then everything will be happy, be okay. Well, joy is independent of these. So may we long for change in our circumstances, and sometimes that's what we get, but a changed life is our deepest need. Changed circumstances may make us happier, but a changed life will make us better for it will make us more like Christ. You see, happiness is affected by what one has. Joy, on the other hand, is by what one is. Happiness comes from an experience of good as distinct from evil. Joy from an experience from God apart from good or evil. Happiness comes through things outside which stir feelings within Joy leaps within from God into our hearts and our soul. Happiness is like a changing surface of the ocean. Joy is like the ocean bed untouched by the change of wind or the atmosphere. I want to close with the story this morning. As a third century man was anticipating death, he penned these last words to a friend. It's a bad world. An incredibly bad world. But I have discovered that in the midst of it, a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret, they have found joy, which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. So when you're experiencing joy, guys, don't forget to tell your face <laughs> to smile. <laughs> Our memory verse was Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore.
Let's stand. Well, Jesus, we know that you came to give life and life abundantly in the joy that we do find in you. It really, truly is unlike anything else in this life. And we do thank you how it's just there, even in rough seasons, tough times. We thank you for that gift. Lord, and we want others to know you, to receive that gift also. So would you please, Lord, give us opportunity to speak the good news with boldness, like we saw Paul do today, especially when someone asks. May we just share our love of you, to share your story, all that you have done, Jesus. Uh, we thank you for the grace that has found us, God. Thank you so much for these brothers and sisters. And I do pray, Father, that you'd help us to walk closer to you, to consider your will, to seek it out, or to walk in your ways. We pray in your name. Amen? Amen. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen? Amen. Amen.